Welcome to the Fully Restored Podcast. Christians often struggle to talk about areas of deep hurt like trauma or abuse, shame or betrayal. These are deep soul wounds. Friend, Christ came to not only heal us from our sin, but from our soul wounds as well. My name is Kristen Klaus and I'm a licensed professional counselor and author. And my guest and I are here to walk with you on your healing journey. We see you and hear you. Friend, if you hang with me, apply these truths to your life, you will be on your own path to a fully restored story. Grab your coffee, tea, or favorite drink, and let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Kristen Klaus, and you're listening to the Fully Restored Podcast. Today, my guest is Melissa Jansen. All of us go through deep pain, grief, and loss in our lifetimes, right? But sometimes we don't always know how to navigate through that. Today, Melissa and I are going to discuss this very topic, and I pray there will be words of life that will speak to you as you navigate through your own losses in life, whatever those may be. Welcome, Melissa, to the Fully Restored Podcast. Thank you so much, Kristen. It's an honor to be here. Oh, I'm so grateful to have you with us today. And before we jump into our deep discussions here, I always like to do some fun facts. So you grew up all over the U.S. as a military brat, as the way you put it. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. We lived in several states, and I believe I've moved 13 times. Wow. From birth to um, 18, is that how many times, or was it a certain time frame? Yes, that's birth to 18. And then when I was in college, my parents actually moved over to Germany. So I got to spend my, uh, my breaks and summers over there with them. Oh, how wonderful. Was that the only time you were out of the country? Yes. Okay. So is there a favorite state? Uh, It's funny because I was born in Georgia uh, many years ago, and I just recently moved back here. Oh, there you go. (laughs) About a year ago, so I feel like I'm coming full circle. Yeah, I was just going to say that's a full circle story for you. Well, Melissa, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, the work you do in your family? Yes. I've had a lot of different careers. Kristen, I majored in education, so I was a high school teacher to begin with, and then I spent, after having my children, about 10 years in the corporate world and managed preschools. After that, which has been about 2000, God really called me out of that work and into full-time ministry, and I didn't know what that would look like in the beginning. So I took about a year off and and just prayed and spent time volunteering at the jails and in pregnancy ministries. And about a year after that, he called me to direct a crisis pregnancy center, which then became two centers. I left there and I spent time as an executive director of a homelessness prevention ministry, which was founded by churches. And I, I greatly enjoyed that. About the same time I I was working full time, I was feeling the Lord's calling to go back to school to seminary. And I started in Christian counseling and then veered into the life coaching track at that point. So I'm currently a board certified life coach and started my practice about six years ago. Well, wonderful. And a little bit about your family. Yes, I have been married 33 years now, my second marriage, and I have two grown daughters, uh, one of whom is a mom herself, and I have a a grandson who's 20 months, and another one on the way, granddaughter on the way. My other daughter is engaged to be married next year and lives out in the Midwest, so it's just just the four of us, but I've got sisters. I'm I'm the fourth of uh, four girls. 
all very close in age and we are far apart geographically, but very close in heart. Oh, that's wonderful. So Melissa, could you share with us your experience, your story with grief and loss? I sure can. Um, I, I'd say it really began when I was a teenager, uh, Kristen, in uh, 1976, when I experienced my first loss. I was head over heels in love with, with my first love, if you will. And uh, we spent about a year going out together. And then as is the case with military families, my dad was called to go to another assignment shortly after I started this relationship. So a month after we moved away from Kentucky at the time, my boyfriend was killed instantly in a motorcycle accident. And it was tragic. And uh, I received a call that, that he was dead and it was all very sudden. So that was really my first loss. And a few years later, a very good friend of mine in high school fell asleep while driving home from a party one night and was killed behind the wheel. Six years later, my husband, who I was married to at the time, came out and confessed that he was bisexual and wanted to leave the marriage. So I went through a divorce that year, two weeks after he did that. My father collapsed with a brain tumor. So I lost both of them in the same year. And then in 2010, I lost my, my dear mother. She was fairly young. My dad was 52 and he died. My mom was just 70 and had cancer. So I lost her. And then my college roommate, very good, dear friend of mine, also in a car accident. Several other relatives after that, including my sister-in-law just last year. So there have been a multitude of losses, really a great ratio of losses. But that's my journey really started over 40 years ago. Yeah, as a teen, that is really difficult. And I can't even imagine what that was like. First, the loss of having to move and not being able to see him and everything often. And then to have him killed in an accident. I think... There's some times in our life where we have some great losses like that, that we remember them more so than some others. And I would think definitely as a teenager, that would have a big imprint on your life. And then shortly after to have a friend killed as well in high school. It's a lot of accidents that you've experienced. And then the loss of a marriage that brings up a whole, I mean, we could just do a whole show just on the loss of a marriage, right? Oh, exactly. Because that is, a, a divorce is a, a great loss and, and loss of hope for a future. I never dreamed, I never dreamed I would be divorced. And I mm -hmm. certainly didn't want to be one of those statistics. And I, and I really had no clue. I mean, here was a, a man who was good looking and was a pastor's son. And I just thought it was going to be our union forever. So it was quite devastating to me. And the fact that, that I lost him the same year I lost my father, you know, the two most important men in my life, which had followed the boyfriend. And, and so I didn't have much theology behind me, but at the time I was thinking, God, really? I mean, this is, a, this is a double whammy. And these are three men that I loved so. And is this some sort of punishment? Which, of course, it wasn't. But, but at the time, that's how I felt. And was there a reason you felt? Is this some sort of punishment? You know, I just couldn't imagine that one person would lose three people in such a short span of time that I love. I realized later, Kristen, and, and God showed me this in a very gentle way, that in some ways, I had idolized 
each of these men. I had put them up on a pedestal, you know, starting with the first boy, I gave him my heart and, and my body even, and, and just emotionally everything that goes along with that. And then I kind of failed to see some of the things in my first husband that may have been obvious, but, but not to me. He could do no wrong. And then, of course, my father, my father was a career officer, but he was my hero. Yeah. He was my daddy. He was my hero. And I couldn't imagine that at 52, he would have a brain tumor. You know, he, he was a four-star general and he'd been to Vietnam twice and fought many battles. And I just assumed he could win this one too. The Lord called him home, but I just saw it as punishment to me. Which makes me think how many people think the same way is this punishment. I've had so much grief and loss in my life. God, are you punishing me? Are you unhappy with me? Or God, do you even see me? Could be things that everybody are thinking as they're going through that process that you were on as well. So Melissa, you've shared with us about your deep pain, the grief and loss that you've experienced. Now, can you tell us briefly about your own fully restored story? Absolutely. This journey that I've been on God showed me the fullness of it. He showed me how he took me some days, you know, literally carried me through the pain, pulled me out of the fetal position that I would crawl up into. You know, I remember just crying out the Psalms, Psalm 18, the cords of death entangle me, the, the destruction is overwhelming me. God, where are you? And he heard me, heard my voice. But what I didn't know back then was that he was bringing me to a place where I could testify that where my story intersected with his story. It was about that time in in 2017 when he really said, and I want you to tell your story. I've healed you. And now I want you to be a part of the healing process that others are going through, which of course he, he is healing them. But but it was about 2017 that he called me to write the book on other people's losses. Because for many years, I thought, well, and people said to me, oh, my gosh, your story, it's so, it's so traumatic and it's so dramatic. Why don't you write a book? But I didn't want to just write a book and tell my story. So he made it very evident, you know, I'm not walking this alone. There are many people in the world that have suffered. And so I want you to tell stories of redemption, how I've redeemed, meaning God, how I've redeemed them. And how I've redeemed you. So in that journey where he was carrying you through the pain and Psalms 18 became your prayer in the middle of all that brokenness, how old were you at that point? You know, I think 20s. It it, it began when I was about 25. And how long did that go for? Well, that restoration was until I was about 55. So, you know, 30 years. And it's ongoing because, you know, grief is not a one-time event. That's right. You know, it's, it's this journey of healing. But now I feel like I am in a place I've come full circle so that I can be an instrument, a vessel that God could use yeah. in the lives of other people who are struggling. As you were sharing about Psalms 18 and those times of being carried through the pain, I was thinking of the journey that David had in the Bible. And, you know, if we dig into the scripture and especially the Psalms, if we dig into those scripture and look to see who was the one that wrote them and when was that in history and at what part of David's journey was he at, you know, there were times when he had been anointed king, but he was not yet king. 
and he went through so much and persecution and things that were going on. And so thinking of that and how you're talking about pain and and Psalms 18 and how often we focus on the pain and we miss the work that God is doing in us. And David, even in the middle of the struggles, he kept putting his eyes back on God. So what helped you to keep putting your eyes back on God in the middle of all that? Well, first of all, I think he was my source. He is source. Everything else came up short. People, other relationships, trying to self-medicate with alcohol. None of it worked. And God, God is the only one that can heal. Plus, Jesus is very acquainted with pain and grief. And, and I remember reading that. I remember going, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, you, you were rejected and beaten and crucified and you know, you, you took my pain. And so I started to see this exchange that, that happened at the cross and that I was, that God was, was the one that was an only one who could restore me. Yeah. And with purpose, we look at pain and, and we just kind of look at it as it's isolated, it's self-contained, but pain became purpose for me. And, and I could finally, I felt like I could finally step out of the casket, if you will, that's, that's a probably not the best way to describe it, but I could finally get out of the casket of, of death and pain and hardship and start to pay it forward, you know, start to see some purpose in my losses. Hmm. And so then my life verses for this season became Second uh, Corinthians, you know, the first chapter verses three and four. People heard this before. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so we can comfort others. But, um, and I love it, by the way, I love it in the Passion Translation, where it says, All praises belong to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the Father of tender mercy and the God of endless comfort. So it's not just a one time thing. You know, he, he comforts us with every loss in our lives. And I finally could see, oh, I get it, God, you've taken this, you've shaped me, you know, you've taken my gifts, but you've also taken my experiences. And now you're going to allow me to be a vessel that you can work through and comfort other people. And that is just such a privilege. That's just awesome to be able to do that. So how does grief manifest in our lives? Like how did it manifest in yours and what coping methods did you use? Well, I think everybody copes differently, of course, and grief looks different on everyone. It has different faces. Yeah, everybody's probably familiar with the textbook stages established by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross of starts with denial, anger, bargaining, um, depression, and finally acceptance. For me, I think I was in that shock, okay, both with the loss of the boyfriend, just shock, you know, and then to go to a funeral at age 14 and and see an open casket and all of that and everything that went along with that. So I stayed in that stage for a while and I curled up in bed a lot and I slept a lot. I think, well, with my husband coming out and, and kind of confessing this lifestyle, again, there was shock, but I was angry. I was mad about the deceit, to be real frank. And I, I did the bargaining. I was like, God, if you could change him, if you could please just change him and, you know, and save this marriage, I'll do anything you want me to do you know, but it, it wasn't my decision. I did that. And then just, you know, depression set in a little bit. I, I, I think when I lost my mom, probably hit me in the hardest, not, not right 
when she passed because I had the privilege of being with her in the room and watching her peacefully pass into the arms of Jesus. But I had to go home. We had a funeral service out in Arizona where she lived. But because she was a military wife, we had to have a second service or she wanted to be buried in Arlington Cemetery with my dad. So two months after she passed, we had a nice service. I flew back to Washington where I was living at the time. I had to go to the funeral home and re-identify her, her body. And that just opened up the wounds again <laughs> with salt. So I, I remember it hit me then. Oh God, we've got to do this again. Got to go through this again. And then that six months after she died, I didn't mention this, but you know, the loss of pets is really difficult for people too. And I had two Labrador retrievers and they both got sick at the same time with hip dysplasia. So I had to take them, they had to put them down and they both died within just weeks of each other. So that's about the time that I, I thought, you know what, I need to talk with someone. I need good counsel through this to peel back some of these layers of grief that had piled up over the years. And then, I, and I do remember one of the ways it manifests was just dates, you know, anniversary dates, holidays are always difficult for people. And for me, it was first Mother's Day, the first Mother's Day without my mom. And I remember waking up, I was at the beach with some girlfriends, but I remember waking up and just thinking, she's not here. I can't pick up the phone and call her, you know, so that, so the tears flowed. And then my first birthday without her and just those kind of things. And, and I think it, it manifests in different ways for people. Some people isolate, some people just shut down completely. They don't, they don't want to have relationships with anyone or go anywhere. And then others want to jump in too quickly and just try to appear as if nothing's happened. Or I, I think about there's some widows that I work with and some take their time and maybe wait a year before they date again. And others just jump into the next relationship looking for an answer. Yeah, because some people are are not comfortable being alone. And then on the other side, you know, they also say healthy marriages that people tend to marry again. But when you're talking about the first year, really that year is a year of shock. So whatever your grief and loss is, um, because we've established, we're talking about the loss of your first boyfriend, your first love, your your husband, the marriage, and then your father. Those are individuals of losing. But really that first year is really difficult because you're right. You have all those first anniversaries, the first Christmas without them, the first Easter without them, their first birthday, our first birthday, all of the first and the family events that are important to that particular family. And then the second year, the shock starts to wear out a little bit. But for many, it's not until about the third year that they're even able to start really kind of working through and then there for those families that I think when there's a child that is lost, not to say that loss is lost, but for a family member that loses a child, it's just so devastating. And I've worked with quite a few families that have dealt with suicide, that have dealt with a child, that a teenager that committed suicide, that have lost a child to medical issues. And there's a, another layer of grief that comes on there as well of my child, because for some reason we feel, we believe that we're supposed to pass before our child. That's just the, the cycle of life. And so there's so many different types of grief and loss that people are experiencing, but those first years are rough. The first couple of years are rough. And I always encourage people, there comes a point in a time that they need to choose to live. We need to make a choice to live. 
in the midst of our loss? Like, can I live without them? That's where you come to that place of acceptance, past that place of depression, like you were talking about. Absolutely. And and one of the things I I didn't mention earlier, but that uh, was another layer of grief is that my uh, ex-husband, about three years after we, we separated and divorced, unfortunately, he he was diagnosed as being HIV positive, and he was a military officer. And at the time, the two just didn't dive. You, you couldn't take a command situation. So he did wind up taking his own life. Mm-hmm. He did commit suicide, which was, of course, devastating to many people. But in particularly, for me, it reopened a wound. I was remarried by that time and had a child, but it certainly brought back so many memories and the pain of the first loss. And for his parents, he was the second child they lost. He had been in a fire with his his little sister. So they had already buried one child and now an adult child. And then after that, about 10 years after that, lost their third. So I can't imagine the grief that they experienced. But I do know for me, it, it was uh, another layer, just another layer. And that's why I think it's important to get counsel, to get good counsel, whether that's one-on-one or in a group. Yeah, because there's a lot of different ways that individuals can get help to process through their loss and grief. Like you said, for some, they need to see a counselor. For others, it could be a support group. For others, it's their friends or their pastor. Like there's different ways that we can go to get that support and help that we need. And I'm just thinking of the listener right now who is mourning. They have just mourned and grieved over so many things in their life and they're struggling today. So with your life experience, where God has brought you today, what are two or three things that you could share with the listener as they begin their journey of healing to give them some hope that life can be restored within them? It may not be the same, but life within them can be restored. Yes, I'm all about that. The first thing I would say is to take time. You know, we've said this earlier, but it's true that the loss the grief is not an event. It is a journey and it takes time to heal. And so give yourself that time. Don't be in a rush. You know, it might be a year, two years, three years. It might take longer than that, but just take your time. And people will say awkward things, unfortunately, when all the casseroles are gone. For example, when someone's passed, you know, people don't know what to say. Or, or, or let's say you had a miscarriage, you lost a child. And someone just blurts out, well, you'll get pregnant again, or you'll have another one. It takes time. So give yourself that time. And I I can't tell you what exactly that will look like for you because it's individual. The second thing is, and, and I speak from experience, but I also speak from the experiences of those that I've worked with. And that is allow God, allow Christ to be your healer. He's acquainted with grief. Isaiah uh, 53 tells us, and we know that, that that he himself wore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. You know, he was afflicted. So he knows better than anyone how to heal and what that looks like. So allow him to. And even if you don't know him, maybe get into a group with someone or in counsel with someone who does and dig into some scripture or prayer. You know, if you don't have the strength to pray, allow other people to pray on your behalf for you. 
And last year I would say just to ask God, if, if you're, you know, just pray. I mean, prayer can be a conversation. It is a conversation with him. Just ask him, what's the purpose of this loss? You may not know today. You might know 20 years down the road or 30 years down the road, but show me, God, how I can take this, which is so sad and so painful, maybe even evil, and, and allow you to turn it for good and for purpose and for your glory, and maybe help someone else. I think about the woman who's had an abortion for the past abortion. I used to work with, with many women in the crisis pregnancy centers, and she's gone through a process, of course, of, of grief and loss and forgiveness, forgiving herself and allowing God to forgive her, but may feel like, I, I, you know, what else can I do? I'd say perhaps God's going to use you in the lives of other women that have to make that decision, you know, for life. And maybe your story, your testimony will be exactly what she needs to hear the moment that she needs to hear that. Any of our stories, any of our testimonies, to be able to be used by God for his purposes and the healing of someone else's life. Which, as you're talking, I'm reminded of a guest that we had a few weeks ago when we were talking about anxiety. And one of the things, it was actually Jen Ervig, and one of the things that she talked about was for her, what helped her through the process was helping others. And so you're saying that, you know, and that's talking about anxiety, but there's this term called complicated grief. And what complicated grief is, is as you talked about, there are the five stages of grief and some have said more stages, but you know, the core belief about grief counseling and coaching and and so forth and support groups is that there's the five stages of grief. But complicated grief, what happens is you get stuck in one of the stages. So you may get stuck in anger and you may get stuck in bargaining. Now, they're not necessarily, you know, you go through denial, you go through anger, you go through bargaining, depression, and then acceptance. And maybe you're in bargaining. And it doesn't mean you're not going to go back to some feelings of denial, some feelings of anger, but you're working through it. And you're on this journey of pushing and working through that process and working through everything. But complicated grief is when you get stuck in one of those areas and you're not able to move forward. And often it is anger or it's in the depression, but more often I see it in anger and trying to find somebody to blame. And so that you could be angry for two, three, four, five, ten 10 years about the loss of someone or something that was very important to you. And so when we need to ask God about our situation of what we're facing and, and God, what is in this we need to ask him, am I stuck in my grief as well? Because that stops us from moving forward into the fullness of who God has us and created us to be. And like you said, he may say, hey, I turn all things around for your good and to be glorified in this. And, and in this situation, I want you to go and minister to these women, or I want you to go and minister to these wives that have lost their husbands, or I want you to go and minister to these teenagers that are experiencing grief and loss. But if we're stuck in our complicated grief, we never walk into the fullness of who God created us to be. So I just want to encourage you that if you find like, you know what, Kristen, I think I'm stuck. I think I'm stuck in this. Then go get help. Go to a counselor, go to a support group, go to a coach, go find a pastor, somebody 
that can help you through that process of grief because this is not the end for you. Your story has not ended. It's just a chapter. And I pray that you will hear this and that you will recognize and ask and pray and say, okay, God, where am I in this grief process? But again, grief is not on a time frame. I can remember losing my grandfather in six months after he passed away, which my grandfather was like my dad. And six months after he passed away, I had somebody say, oh, you're still not over that? I was shocked <laughs> that they said that to me. And I'm like, it's only been six months. And they're like, yeah, but it was your grandpa. And I'm like, no, he wasn't just my grandpa. He was my dad. But regardless, that doesn't matter. So those are some of the unhealthy things that we can say to people as they're walking through their own grief. And that leads me to ask you a question that I'm asking you on the spot. What advice would you say on how to support our family or friends, our loved ones that are going through grief? Right. Well, I, I think the first thing is be there, be present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes all a person needs and often all they need is to be held. If they're comfortable with that, you know, hug. They don't need the spoken word necessarily. Be a good listener. If they're comfortable with prayer, you can pray for them and with them because many times they just don't have the words. They just have the groan. Yeah. <laughs> and so that that's that's really it. Yeah. You know, people sometimes appreciate practical things, but ask first. Don't just assume love. Just extend love, care for them. Yeah. There's a great book, a children's book called Tear Soup. And really it's a children's book, but it's for adults. And it's about the process of grief. And it's something that sometimes I've actually walked adults through this book and just shared it with them. And it's all of those things that you're saying. It's about just being present with them. And it's about coming over and maybe cooking for them if that's the kind of friendship that you have with them. Being a good listener. And if they say the same things over and over, it's okay. Let them say the same things over and over. Because the one thing about processing, whatever it is we're processing, we need to verbalize it. We need to get it out of our head. We need to verbalize it and process it and loving and caring them. Like you just said, all of those things. They're lonely. I mean, look at the pandemic right now. Yeah. With, with a, a widow. So on top of her losing her husband just prior to the pandemic, there was the thought of, oh, well, I'm going to have to stay home alone. Who am I going to talk to? And there were just little things around the house that he used to do that she was unable to do. And really, even more than coaching her, setting goals with her was just listening, just being there, being present. Yeah. So that leads me to wonder how many individuals, because, you know, this is the year 2020 when we're recording this, how many individuals are home alone that are single? And, and so for those of us listening, we need to be sensitive to those that are home alone. You know, there's some states that activities have started back. And there's some states where there's still pretty strict restrictions of what individuals can do. And, and here we are as we're recording this. This is November. And um, although this isn't going to be heard for all of you in, for a couple of months, but that being isolated and here COVID is kind of making a comeback and it's getting worse again. And after a year of being isolated, thinking of the, the woman you're talking about, how hard that is. And so if we're the ones feeling isolated, I encourage you to get connected with a church group, get 
connected with somebody, a friend, somebody, a support group. A lot of the hospitals, if you're dealing with grief and loss, a lot of the hospitals have support groups. So you can contact hospitals and find out what do they have in your area. And some of those support groups are now doing Zoom meetings. But you bring up a great point there, um, Melissa, about that, about the woman who lost her husband and is home alone. There's that. And then I think, too, just what people are feeling right now. They're feeling the loss, the loss of the way things, yeah, quote, yeah. unquote, you know, the normalcy of life, the freedom of just hopping in the car and going to the grocery store or shopping or trunk or treat event, you know, that's not going to be canceled. So we're grieving those yeah. parts of our lives too, you know, the, the, what we knew, you know, what we're used to. And so yeah. I encourage people to let's look for new experiences, get yeah. outdoors when you can, you know, look at God's creation, uh, go out and breathe some fresh air. Yeah. Which is part of one of the things I counsel with people about with grief and loss is find new traditions. What are new traditions? So what you're saying is find something new to do, find opportunities. So instead of looking at it like life is never going to be the same, okay, what are some new things that we can do? What's some creative ways that we can do things? And I've seen a lot of people do that because you see that on the news of at the Probably uh, we moved here to Kentucky from Washington in March, and it was at the beginning of April, probably maybe about April 15th-ish, around that time, there was a parade of cars that went by, and it was the teachers from the school district, all of the teaching staff, and they went through our whole town, neighborhood to neighborhood, and were honking, they had signs, we miss you, we love you, and I'm standing out in my backyard with my paint clothes on and I'm painting some pieces of furniture in my for my house and I just started crying. I don't even know these teachers. I don't know the children, but I was crying and weeping with them and for them because it's such a difficult loss of not being able to be with those ones that are so important to us. But that was a new tradition. So then that and then there's baby showers and different things where people are doing these drive-by events where we can stay connected with people in the middle of a COVID world. And that would be true even for, for someone who's grieving a loss. I remember interviewing a woman from my book who had established with her husband a tradition for her birthday, it was, but it was always the same. You know, basically she could count on her husband to have the cake and the balloons and take her out for dinner. And so the first year without him was difficult. Yeah. But she made a wise decision and a healthy decision. And that was to start a new tradition and took her sons and went on a cruise. And so every year thereafter, you know, that was her oh. birthday tradition. I just applauded her for that. Yeah. Well, I have enjoyed our time talking together. How can people connect with you online and purchase your books? Well, I am on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, YouTube. And basically, it's melissamjansen.com in terms of any one-on-one -on -one coaching and groups. I currently have two groups. One is ABC, and that's for just general healing topics. And then my glow group, which is God's love. Over Widows, uh, that's a widow's group, but we're doing by Zoom currently. The book, 40 Voices of Grief and Gratitude, 
and my uh, second book, which is called Miracle Moments in Ministries, are both available on Amazon.com. So I think they're both in uh, paperback and Kindle version. Well, thank you, Melissa, for joining us today. Our show notes and all the links shared with us today, just the ones that even Melissa just shared now, can be found at my website, fullyrestored.love. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our shows. We would appreciate it if you would leave a review or a rating as well on whatever platform you're listening to us on, and be sure to share our podcast with your friends. I would love to stay connected with you as well. So be sure to find me on Instagram or on my Facebook page. Both of those are at author Kristen Klaus. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Fully Restored podcast and you, like me, feel like you're walking away with some valuable tools on your journey of healing from grief and loss. And remember, friends, nothing or no one is beyond restoration with Jesus.